भद्रम कर्णेसृणुयाम देवा भद्रम पश्येक्षिजत्रिंगुवागम सस्तनु व्यशेम देवितयदायु स्वस्ती न इंद्रो वृद्धस्रवा स्वस्ती न पूषा विश्ववेदा स्वस्तिर्नस्ताक्ष्योरिष्टनेमी स्वस्ति नो बृहस्पतिर्दा ओं शाति शाति हरि मे वी हियर विथ योर इयर्स वॉट इज ऑस्पीशियस May we see with our eyes what is auspicious, while praying with steady limbs. May we attain the lifespan allotted to us. May Indra bestow well-being on us. May Pushan, the god of the earth, who is all-knowing, bestow well-being on us. May Garuda, the destroyer of evil, bestow well-being on us. May Brihaspati also bestow well-being on us. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. So in the last class we were studying the eighth, seventh, and the eighth mantra of the first chapter of the third part of Mundaka Upanishad, where in the eighth mantra we find that it was indicated that how does a yogi or a man who is endowed with self knowledge he realizes Brahman as the very self of all living beings. It is the self who is residing. in the core of each and every being that's being realized by man of self knowledge so that's being indicated in the eighth mantra which we studied in the last class what it says na chakshu shagrihate na pivacha na anyai devai tapasa karma nava gyana prasadena vishuddha sattva tata tu pashyate nishkalam dhyayamana so here we find that brahman can never be objectified as it is the ultimate subject is being indicated by the word nachakshusha grihate na pivacha na anyai devahi so the brahman cannot be grasped by the eye chakshusha nor cannot be expressed by the speech vacha na anyai devai here as we indicated the word deva here means the various organs of perceptions the sense organs through we through which we perceive this world in the form of sight sound taste smell touch so these all are the senses so the self cannot be revealed by any of these senses it is beyond the senses beyond the mind neither can it be realized by the so called spiritual practices like tapas and all actions which accrues good result tapasa karmanava they may help us to maintain the integrity of our life that we may not disintegrate tapas karma they do play a role in maintaining the integration of our life but as per our spiritual knowledge is concerned the only criteria for it is gyana prasad when the buddhi is totally purified it becomes vishuddha sattva where there is no tinge of rajas and tamas in the buddhi what it speaks of when the mind is tranquil and at the same time it is alert it is not breaking into the various distractions the vagaries of minds have stopped but at the same time it has not entered into the state of stupor lethargy drowsiness so this drowsiness speaks of tamas the extreme restlessness of mind speaks of rajas that both has been 
relinquished. We have got rid of both. The mind is in a state of tranquility. That's what is meant by Vishuddha Sattva. So that's the state in which we can realize the self. Tata tupashyate nishkalam dhyayamana. Then the self can be realized. The self being as if it, it, the nature of the buddhi is to reveal the self. When the buddhi, when the intellect is purified, it's naturally it, as, as the self is always in association with it, that buddhi reveals the self. That's the natural state of buddhi. It's only when it breaks into the various vagaries or it goes into the state of stupor, just like in the water, when it is transparent, I can see the bottom of the lake. But if there are waves, the wave speaks of restlessness, the rajas, or if there is turgidity, impurity, that impurity speaks of tamas, then I cannot see the bottom. If the waves are not there, if the turgidity is not there, the lake with its transparent water naturally, spontaneously reveals the bottom of the lake. That's the as if the bottom of the lake is like the snake, it is a self. The mind is like the lake. It's natural, uh, its natural way of expression is to express the self. It's only because of the rigidity, turgidity, and the restlessness. The self is not revealed. And that's the thing is being indicated here. The tapas speaks of attaining something through endeavor. Karma also speaks of attaining something through endeavor. But the self is already there with us. We don't have to attain it. It is the core of our being. There are some impurities in the form of restlessness and stupor. That has to be relinquished. And the mind and the chitta, the buddhi in its natural state is always there revealing the Atman, the Brahman. And that Atman is Nishkalam, it is without any parts. It is not made up of various constituents. Whenever anything is made up of constituents, know it for certain that it is, it serves the purpose of something which is apart from it. So if the cell was also made up of constituents, then it is bound to serve the purpose of something which is apart from it. But the self is the ultimate cause of the entire existence. So the thing which is the ultimate cause cannot be with parts. If it was with part, then all those parts together would have served the purpose of something else which is not a part. As we gave the example even in the last class, that suppose this room, which is made up of bricks, cement, mortar, this wood, the room doesn't serve the serve any purpose for the brick, cement, mortar, wood, electricity. The room doesn't serve any purpose. It serves the purpose for someone who is not a constituent, with who is not a part of this room. He's not a constituent of this room. That is a we who come into this room for various purpose, for praying, for meditating, for classes, for all this. So we who are not the constituent. So if cell was having, if the self was having various constituents, then naturally from that inference, we can draw the inference that it is serving the purpose from someone for, for someone who is apart from it. And that way we can never think of the self as the ultimate. So the ultimate self must be Nishkalam. He's a homogeneous mass of consciousness. That's what Shankaracharya says in his commentary, without any parts. So that's what is meant by the word nishkalam. Kala means part, nishkalam means who is beyond all parts. He is the ultimate source of the entire existence. So after saying this, this same idea will be again reiterated, will be again described in the next mantra. So let's proceed to the, the ninth mantra of the first chapter of third part of Mundakapanishad. Eshaha Anuhu Atma Chetasa Veditavya Yasmin Pranaha Panchadha 
संविवेश प्राणय चित्तम सर्वम ओतम प्रजानाम यस्मिन विशुद्धे विभवति एश आत्मा सो विद इन दिस बॉडी वेर ऑल द वाइटल फोर्स हैज एंटर्ड फाइंड एक्सप्रेशन इन फाइव फॉर्म्स आत्मा चेतसा वेदितव्य वेर यू हैव टू फाइंड दट आत्मन यस्मिन प्राण पंचधा संविवेश वाइटल फोर्स हैज फाइव डिफरेंट वेज टू मैनिफेस्ट विद इन द बॉडी वेर दिस फाइव वेरियस प्राणस हैव कॉन्ग्लोमरेटेड हैव केम टूगेदर टू मेक आवर फिजिकल एक्सिस्टेंस पॉसिबल विद इन दैट the atma is as if sitting there in the core of that being esha anu atma chetasa veditavya yasmin prana panchadha sambhivesha so his he is his self is sitting in the core of our being the being which in which the prana finds expression in five forms so what are those five forms we will come to the discussion प्राणय चित्तम सर्वम ओतम प्रजानाम यस्मिन विशुद्धे विभवती एश आत्मा प्राणय चित्तम सर्वम ओतम ओतम प्रजानाम व्हाट इट इज स्पीकिंग दैट द इंटेलेक्ट व्हिच वाज स्पीक फॉर स्पोकन ऑफ इन दैट लास्ट मंत्र दैट इंटेलेक्ट इज परवेडिंग द प्राण the five organs of perception gyanendriyas the five organs of action is the karmendriyas the mind this everything is being pervaded by that intellect the intellect pervades all so if we can purify that intellect yasmin vishuddha that intellect which pervades the entire body all the sense organs the mind that intellect when it is purified yasmin vishuddhe bibhavati esha atma the atman shines forth bibhavati means to reveal to shine forth so the atman reveals when that that intellect which is pervading everything is being purified so within this body where all the vital forces entered in five forms in five different ways this subtle self that has to be realized through that intellect esha anu atma chetasa veditavya this chetasa is speaks of the intellect which was spoken of in the last mantra with that intellect we have to realize and that intellect what's its nature it pervades the organs of perception organs of action the mind and of course the panchaprana and when that intellect is purified the atma reveals so what this panchaprana actually means so we find in the yoga and the vedic vedic tradition this speaks of prana the vital force within our body finds expression in five different ways and as per those functions it has been nomenclature named into five different terms what are those terms five different nomenclatures of prana it is prana apana vyana udana samana prana prana means breathing apana apana means excretion to just get rid of all the toxins through the process of excretion is apana vyana vyana is a very interesting thing which in the uh, vedanta it has been described as that some that prana is linked with breath that is the breath is the fuel of our this body with each and every breath we are as if fueling our entire system without that we cannot exist without food we may exist for Three weeks without water for three days, but without breath, not even three minutes. 
if we are without breath in three minutes, we will die. So breath is that vital. So that is the fuel of life. So that breath is finding expression as prana, that's the breathing. Apana is, is excretion, getting rid of toxins. Now this vyana, what this vyana means? Very nicely they have defined that sometimes we don't breathe, but still we do have the energy, the energy which is already stored, that is finding expression. Like when you are stretching, you're yawning. So all those are expressions of vyana. In the uh, language of the modern biology, we can say that, that within our body, that most of the, uh, what you say, that the cells assimilation is aerobic. It needs the oxygen. But there, but there is anaerobic, uh, what you say, this respiration is also going on. That when you stretch too much, the oxygen which you're taking beyond that, when you're stretching, that anaerobic, that without oxygen, the metabolism happens. And that's why that all the toxins gets accumulated in our joints, the pain we have. It's all this happens because of this vyana, this anaerobic and this uh, metabolism, where without oxygen, metabolism is happening. So this anaerobic metabolism is being, we can just uh, equate it with vyana. Then udana. Udana is that at the time of death, the subtle body is ejaculated out from this body. So this pranavayu comes out and that's the vital force with which that the subtle body is ejected out of the body is being termed as udana. And samana speaks of assimilation. When I take the food, that food has to be converted into energy. It has to, I have to assimilate it. It has to become the part and parcel of my body. That assimilation is the thing which differentiates between animate and the inanimate objects. A, a rock cannot assimilate. It's just whatever it accumulates that itself becomes rock. But the food which we take, that gets transformed into a cell, into blood, into the bones. So this transformation, we use the food to transform it into our body through the process of assimilation. The vital force which is responsible for that is being termed as samana. So these are the five pranas which is sustaining our body. But that these five pranas can get activated only when the self is there behind it. So that's the thing which is being indicated. Yasmin prana panchadha sangvivesha. All these, the five pranas, beyond that, the self is. And that has to be realized. Esha anu atma chetasa veditabhya. How has it to be realized? Through the intellect. That intellect which pervades prana, the organs of perception, the organs of action, the mind. What actually is speaking of? In the Vedanta, the idea is the self first will be uh, illuminating the intellect. And the intellect in turn illumines the entire body. Not only the entire body and through the body, the external world. To give an example, on a full moon night, when I see the moon, the first impression is that the moon is the illumined body which is illuminating the earth. But actually what, what is the fact? It is the sun which is illuminating the moon. The light of the moon is nothing but the light of the sun. In turn, the moon illumines the earth. The same thing is being indicated here. The self illumines the intellect. In turn, the intellect illumines that all the various 
functions of the body, organs of the body and the mind. So that's being indicated by Pranay, Chittam, Sarvam, Otam, Prajanam. Yasmin Vishuddhe. In the last sloka also, the purification was spoken of. But here it is specifying that what that Vishuddhi means. That when the mind, if the mind is disturbed, now the self is illuminating the intellect. Intellect in turn is illuminating the mind and the senses. Now throughout the day, if the senses, I interact with the world, which in turn is making my mind restless. That that's the thing is being reflected on the intellect. And then how can I think of that intellect to reveal the self? Because the intellect is now, if the water is very, the intellect becomes something like a distorted mirror. If I have to see my reflection in the water, the water has to be calm. And it has to be pure. Now, if the water is wavy, my reflection also will be distorted. So when the intellect is constantly being disturbed because of the restlessness of the mind and because of the interaction of the senses with the external world, the self can never be revealed. So that's the idea which has been indicated here that Yasmin Vishuddhe Bibhavati Esha Atma. So as long as the senses are interacting with the external world and the mind in turn is active, the intellect cannot be tranquil. But when the senses and the mind are withdrawn, the mind is tranquil. And in that tranquil mind, the self is revealed, being bereft of all the limiting adjuncts. All the things which limits my vision that has fallen off when the mind is not interacting with the world and then the self is revealed. As in the Kathopanishad, that famous mantra speaks of that idea, Paranchi Khani Vyatrinat Swayambhu Tasmat Parang Pashyati Na Antaratman Kaschidhira Pratyagatman Aikshat Avritta Chakshu Amritattva The same idea. Paranchi Khani Vyatrinat Swayambhu. This Kha speaks of years. Kha is uh, actually the space. The space is responsible for the sound. If there is, if the, if you just plug your ears, the space in the within your ear that gets blocked, you cannot hear. So the space is responsible for the sound. So. Kha is actually space, but as it is the direct cause of the sound, so it's called the uh, year. The Kha is a year. Khani means in plural, means year and other sense organs. So they have been inflicted by the Lord in such a way that they always see the external world. Parak. Na. It never sees the Antaratman. It never dives within. Kaschidhira. A few, those who have developed the faculty of intuition, they have realized that by this constantly interacting with the world, I can never, I can never be established in myself. So Kaschidhira Pratyak Atman Aikshat. So these two words are very significant. Parak and Pratyak. Parak means going outwards. Pratyak means diving within. So the Atman, which is Pratyak, which is within, to see that, what they do? Avritta Chakshu. So they close their eyes. That's the first thing, that they stop interacting with the world. But that's not all. That's the first. When I stop interacting with the world by not uh, allowing the senses to move out, the mind is still free. With all my indriyas not interacting with the external world, my mind is still free. It can still go on contemplating on the things which it has perceived. So that also has to be subdued. 
That's being indicated by that dhira, the word dhira, the one who is calm. So when one can thus get rid of the restlessness of the mind, that's the only criteria. Once the mind is calm, the self reveals in that pure intellect. Just the way as we were giving that example, that in the wavy water, the reflection is bound to be distorted. I can never see the reflection properly. It's the water has to be transparent and pure to see my proper reflection. So the self is revealed in that intellect, which is pure and which is calm. So that's the idea which is being indicated here. The self is to be realized in one's own heart. It is manifest there as consciousness, which pervades the intellect, which in turn pervades the minds and the senses. So that's why the intellect appears to be and it, it, it appears to be endowed with consciousness because constantly the self is there behind it, illuminating it just the way the moon appears to be an illuminary object because the sun is illuminating it in the full moon night. Similarly, the, the intellect appears to be endowed with consciousness because it is always in association with the consciousness. So just uh, in Vedanta, they give you another example that when you keep a prism in the proximity of a red flower, the prism appears to be red. It has not really become red. It appears to be tinged with that redness because the red flower is in its proximity. Similarly, the intellect appears to be conscious because it is in proximity of the self. Now, when that intellect is purified, in it the Atman is reflected undistorted. So that's the only sadhana, only spiritual practice which can lead to the illumination, which was, that's what was indicated in the last mantra that na tapas, na, na tapasa, na karmana. All those things have a different purpose. They have a different benchmark. The, only criteria for spiritual illumination is calming down the mind. That's why Shankaracharya in some other place has uh, interpreted tapas as the tranquility of the mind. That all those mini meaningless tapasya, like standing in one feet and all, it as such has no spiritual implications. It may give me some extra power of endurance, strength, but that doesn't entail in spiritual evolution. The only tapas in the spiritual sense is to again and again try to keep the mind, again and again try to keep the mind tranquil. So that's the thing which is being indicated in this mantra. In this context, we will just indicate a very interesting conversation of Sri Ramakrishna. When someone uh, mentioned to Sri Ramakrishna that in our scripture it is mentioned that the self is avang manasa gocharam, avak manasa gocharam. Means it is it cannot be expressed by walk by speech, it cannot be revealed by mind. Immediately Ramakrishna corrected him, replied by what saying no. He is not, the Atman is not Avang Manasa Gochara. It is Shuddha Man Shuddha Buddhir Gochara. It can be revealed with a pure mind, with a pure intellect. So that's the thing which we find is being indicated in the ninth mantra. Now we will enter the last mantra, the tenth mantra of this, this chapter. This is the last mantra. After that, we will have another chapter, that is the concluding chapter of the Mundaka Upanishad. As uh, by this time you all are aware of the fact that Mundaka Upanishad has total three parts and each part has two chapters. So we are at present in the last mantra of the first chapter of the third part and after that there will be one more chapter, the second chapter of the third part of Mundaka Upanishad. 
with that we will be concluding the mundaka upanishad so before entering that chapter the last mantra is a eulogy this is called arthava the self knowledge is eulogized the last mantra of the first chapter of the third part of mundaka upanishad arthavada arthavada is something that if what's arthavada eulogy is used you may say eulogy is sometimes like glorification it doesn't speak of the fact so we have to be uh, that very was aware of the fact that it is not in that sense eulogy it is speaking of some fact but at the same time if you take it literally this mantra which we are going to study now it though it's an eulogy it has a uh, motivating factor behind it that you know sometimes uh, the mother to make the child do something will be uh, to a certain extent bribing them when how, how that if that if the thing which is something which is recommended for the child which the child should do and the child is not willing the mother says if you do it i will just give you a treat some treat so that treat that because of that treat the child may be motivated to do something which is really beneficial for the child so the mother uses the treat as something to make the child do the thing which is supposed to do so the upanishad also we will find again and again in various places they are using eulogizing so as to motivate us to do the thing which we are supposed to do so let's read this mantra and then we will try to understand that what it is actually indicating in the form of eulogy yang yang lokam manasa sangvibhati vishuddha sattva kamayate yangscha kaman tang tang lokam jayate tangcha kaman tasmat आत्मज्ञं ही अर्चयेत भूतिकामः सो यंग यंग लोकं मनसा संविभाति हु विशुद्ध सत्वः द वन हु हैज कॉम डाउन हिज कॉम डाउन हिज माइंड वन हुज माइंड इज ट्रैंक्विल दैट स्पीक्स ऑफ रियलाइजेशन अ मैन ऑफ रियलाइजेशन हुज माइंड इज ट्रैंक्विल what the eulogy is what whichever loka through his mind he contemplates immediately he can attain it just if he thinks of any of the various planes of existence he thinks he is going to attain it that's what kamayate yangscha kaman whatever desires if he desires anything that is bound to be fulfilled so that's being indicated by the next line tang tang lokam jayate just he thinks and he conquers those world cha kaman whatever he desires immediately it's going to be fulfilled he conquers those desire he fulfills and the next the last phrase is tasmat atmagyam hi archayet bhutikama so as a man of realization is sattva sankalpa the word sattva sankalpa means what it is not this word is not in this mantra but it has the this sattva sankalpa is the word which speaks of what has been spoken of in this mantra sattva sankalpa means whatever one takes whatever resolution one takes that is bound to be materialized any resolution any wish is bound to be materialized that such a person is called sattva sankalpa a man of realization is sattva sankalpa so now very interesting that when he says that the last phrase is very interesting tasmat atmagyam hi archayet bhutikama that if you have to fulfill your desire any desire so please go to go and ask to a man of realization he can fulfill all your desires so this is a very interesting thing that the what it indicates that if he has any desire in his mind it will be fulfilled 
and if the desire can be for him or it can be for others because he is satya sankalpa if he says others that be illumined he is bound to be illumined that may you have a long life you will have long life whatever you he says be, may you be wealthy you are going to be wealthy so whatever he desires for himself or for others that is going to materialize so go to a man of realization so it's an eulogy why it's an eulogy you will find there is an apparent contradiction after speaking that one who has tranquilled his mind one who has tranquilled his mind in the mind in which there is no desires such a person alone in can realize the self and now he is saying in this mantra that a man of realization has tranquilled his mind whatever he desires the precondition for reaching that state is desirelessness then from where the question of desiring comes so that this indicates of course he can never desire for himself but of course he can desire for others isn't it so that's the thing with that uh, 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 from that again the question comes that if a person has to approach a spiritually illumined soul he must have why should he approach that his illumination has inspired him that he is a man who has gone beyond all the desires that has inspired him that's why i'm approaching him so whatever inspires me that's the thing i myself want so again the one who is approaching a realized soul that the chance is he also has forsaken all the desires so the question of approaching him with desire how does it come so these are the apparent contradictions that's why this mantra is called a eulogy as arthavada but that way we need not think that it is totally a false statement the aspirant may not have any desire first the question is a man of realization has no desire nor a spiritual aspirant is supposed to have any desire then how does the question of fulfillment of desire of a realized soul or praying for fulfillment of desire to an illumined soul arises and again the aspirant now the question now into and to answer this question that this mantra is not say false statement because there are instances where the aspirant may not have any desires aspirant does as such have no desires but to have favorable condition in his or her spiritual life in the spiritual journey one may pray for small favors which a realized soul do have the power to grant the life of the spiritually illumined soul is the best example instead of trying to explain it with words let us try to give an example example of young narendranath going to ramakrishna after his father passed away ramakrishna is a realized soul he has no desires naren also is aspiring for spiritual illumination as such he also has no desire but that's the time when he was going through a lot of crisis his father has passed away so there was no this uh, what you say this the, the minimum meager wealth for their own sustenance there no means for their own sustenance he had his mother he had other sisters and how can he practice spirituality in this situation when he cannot even meet the bare necessities of his near and dear ones so he was extremely tormented he never didn't knew what to do and at last he went to ramakrishna bhuti kamaha means if the one who has desire so the narain though he has no desire personal desire of his own but at the same time he finds that this the crisis through which he is going through is not enabling him to just calm down his mind and concentrate for his spiritual journey so he went to ramakrishna 
with that desire that why not you pray to the your to the divine mother that at least my basic necessities may be fulfilled so just see that now the situation if you keep keeping in mind you will find that neither naren as such is one who is desirous the question of desire in the life of ramakrishna doesn't come but the situation has arisen where a man of realization if he prays naren believes that it is bound to be fulfilled that prayer has to be fulfilled so he goes and approaches ramakrishna that story is really wonderful even in the last class most probably were indicating and then ramakrishna says naren that you don't believe in mother that's the time when naren was going to brahma samaj who does and as per the belief of the brahma samaj norms of the brahma samaj they were not supposed to worship any images of the divinity no form they should worship so that's why ramakrishna is indicating you don't believe in mother the mother with form what can i do and then ramakrishna is saying naren that if you go and pray to the mother i am just i can assure you your whatever you pray for it will be fulfilled and naren goes to the mother in the temple and when he goes there he suddenly feels that the mother is not just a mere image she is throbbing with life she is chinmay she is not mrinmay and her presence is something magnanimous naren is that full of awe and devotion in the presence of that uh, presence of divine mother in that magnanimous presence of the divine mother is full of awe and devotion and now he forgets for what he came he asks for gyana bhakti this knowledge devotion discrimination all the spiritual qualities he is asking for he forgot for what he came he went back to ramakrishna ramakrishna rebuked him that for the i have just asked you to go and pray to the mother and you forgot he went the second time again the same thing happened the third time this time he felt ashamed that how can i ask such small things trivial things in the presence of the divine mother and again at last he asks for this discrimination knowledge devotion the third time when he comes back and then ramakrishna at last he says very that what he says okay that you won't have your family won't have the what you say the dearth of the minimum sustenance it will be there and we find it was fulfilled so that's the question that it was fulfilled when ramakrishna at last prayed to the mother that take care of that not that he, that his mother is going to have that huge wealth she is going to get rich what he prays that bare necessity why unless that is fulfilled naren cannot uh, focus his full mind for his mind for the spiritual practices so that's a little hindrance little obstacle that has to be removed and ramakrishna prays for that and as he is satyakama is a realized soul whatever he wish that is bound to be fulfilled and it is fulfilled now the question comes that how it so happens that a man of realization whatever he desires that is bound to be fulfilled if you remember in the yoga sutra we were studying that there is only one mind there is only one mind we are as if like just the way we download in the internet our personality speaks of our likes and dislikes what we are downloading from that mind as per my birth as per my situation in life that's the example which we give again and again in the in the subconscious mind as we evolved the uh, most probably we were in a stage where we were like grazing animals we like the grass it was our food if it is there in my subconscious mind that liking for the grass then why don't i salivate when i see the grass 
in the yoga sutra very nicely it has been dealt with that each this some this memory these sanskaras are not favorable for the human birth that's why they remain hidden but they are there so whatever is suitable for this birth that only i am downloading to constitute my personality but there are so many other things just to give an example that <clears throat> so many other examples that if i find that a yogi has developed the supernormal power of seeing everything clearly at night we may think it is a supernatural thing but is it really supernatural in nature it is possible the nocturnal animals which whose eyes are so that so constituted that they see infrared light they cannot see the light which is above red so for them the night is in the night it's not totally dark the earth is pervaded with that infrared light which we cannot see our eyes are not constituted for that but the nocturnal animals can see that so there are some mental modules which we don't have is the nocturnal animals have a man of realization can access those mental modules also you may say how because for them as they are desireless all the bias has fallen off so when i am extremely desirous of something i will be downloading only those things nothing else but the mind which has gone beyond desire it's not limited with his own small set of likes and dislikes as all the biases fallen off the mind becomes all pervading it can download anything and that speaks of that special power because whatever it desires all those that as in the yoga sutra they say that nature has infinite potentiality all our actions what it does it just creates a whole yathakshetrikavat with a very nice example that when a farmer has to bring water to his field what it does it just makes a small hole in the dam and the water starts flowing in and just irrigates the land it doesn't have to bring the water by effort he just has to make the hole so all our effort is just to make a hole in the wall of our ego and the nature simply just flows through it it has infinite potentiality or how i am removing, for a man of realization the dam itself is not there the ego has been totally obliterated so every anything and everything he has the power to access and all those infinite potentialities are there in the nature you will find that in the life of ramakrishna there are examples where we find that uh, that uh, so, uh, so he met someone in the dark who can emit light and the path becomes clear there are animals there are insects the fireflies are there who do emit light so it is not something supernatural in nature this all these things are there as a human being as you progress in spiritual journey and bias falls off you have access to anything and everything you can download anything because the mind is one it is that one cosmic mind of which we all form a part so now you will understand that how a man of realization whatever he desires is fulfilled because he has access to the entire being that mind is totally calm has access to the entire this so called the mental domain so anything can be uh, materialized by such a person so such a person when he thinks that this that this one this is the thing which a person is desiring it as such is not speaks of his selfishness it's just to uh, get rid of the obstacle in his spiritual journey a little favor has to be done and that's done so we find that ramakrishna is praying for narendranath and again the question comes also the realized soul doesn't have any desire but again out of unconditional love for humanity they do wish for others or bless others they which again are bound to materialize 
In the life of Ramakrishna, we'll find again and again it's happening. See, he he specifically mentioned Noren Shikhe Dibe. Noren will teach the world. That Naren, who was just an ordinary graduate, whose marks, if you see, was not something extraordinary. Of course, he was very intelligent as he was not giving his full intelligence to the studies. The marks were just a mediocre marks. In those days, Keshav Chandra Sen was the famous person for his oratory, for his intellect. And Ramakrishna is saying that Naren, if Naren has 18 powers, Keshav has just one. Naren himself is, uh, what you say that, retorting back, saying Ramakrishna that you love me, that doesn't mean that you, you should be just praising me uh, uh, to such a height. How can you compare me with Keshav? Ramakrishna says what mother shows me that I am saying. And just see the Naren who never himself believed that he is going to be the world teacher. Just after death, just a few years after death, we find that Naren is teaching the world. Yes, Ramakrishna, the one who couldn't even write properly with a charcoal he wrote with his hand. That He's, got, he's a, not, not an ordinary teacher. He will teach. And his words will be just resonating in ghore bahire, means at, ho- at home and as well as overseas, bahire. Everywhere his message will, will, be spread, will spread. Who believed that those words? It's only in future we find it has been really materialized. Just see. But what, was there any desire again? Ramakrishna had no desire. It was just the unconditional love for the humanity to spread the message of spirituality. He made Narin the instrument. So again, though apparently the mantra appears that as if, how can it be true? A man of realization doesn't have desire, then why should he have asked for anything? It is the desirelessness that has taken to that state. Then how the question of desire comes? So now you will understand. There are some situations where out of unconditional love or when they feel that certain hindrance is there on the path that has to be removed, they do desire. When the organization will be formed much later, he just even chosen that who will be playing what role. Rakhal, a young boy, they were not even 20, they were in the teens. Pointing him told he has the capacity to rule the kingdom. And we find when the organization was formed, Ramakrishna organization, He's the first president. And not only the first president, he is executing his responsibilities in an extremely efficient way, which shows that really he has the power to rule a kingdom. Sharat, the first general secretary, one day Ramakrishna went and sat on his lap and said, I'm just seeing how much weight you can bear, how much pressure you can bear. And he's the one as a general secretary bearing the lot of pressure of a just newly formed organization very calmly. Swamiji used to say Sharats has the blood of fish, means it never gets it never gets warm. It's cold-blooded, means he's always equipoised. And that's the thing, that's the thing which is required for that type of work, administrative work. Just see whatever he's saying is being finding expression. One day, the author of gospel, M, in his presence, Ramakrishna, is as he praying to mother, that why you gave him so less power? And then the next moment he himself is saying, oh, now I understand. With that only, your work will be done. That little power which he saw has been bestowed in M, with that he understood, the great work will be done. M himself never knew that the gospel of Ramakrishna is going to be the savior of the humankind. Is going to be the something as like a saving factor for the entire humankind. It's message. So all this doesn't speak of the desire. It speaks of unconditional love for the humanity. That's why we use the word avatara. That they come down with no selfishness, just for the good of the world. So again, you will find that it is not mere arthavada which has been spoken of. But even if we take the Arthavada, that is a eulogy, 
then also it has a wonderful meaning that there may be someone who may approach the illumined soul for selfish desires. He may not have, he may or have heard from others that a realized soul, whatever he prays for, that is going to materialize. So with that intention, he goes and asks for some worldly desirable object. Will it not be fulfilled? This mantra, mantra says it will be fulfilled. It does get fulfilled. In the life of Ramakrishna, there's a wonderful example of another uh, disciple. He was a poor boy. His name was Upendranath Mukhopadhyay. He was extremely poor. He always wanted to be rich. Ramakrishna knew that he wants wealth. And when on the day of Kalpataru, that 1st January 1886, where all were being spiritually illumined, this Upendranath that time went and asked for wealth. And we find he really became extremely wealthy, extremely wealthy. The one who had no education, was extremely poor. He, by starting a press, earned a lot. He was extremely rich, but again, very interesting thing we find. That he wanted to be rich, he became rich, but with that wealth, what he did when Swami Vivekananda returned from the West to spread his message. He was the one who was freely distributing the, pam the pamphlets we which he has printed in his printing press. All the scriptures was translated and was printed from his press. His house was open for the sadhus. Anytime anyone comes can come and stay. Latumara used to stay there. So we find though he has what you say that acquired a lot of wealth. But in the process, his mind has also changed. His mind has changed that it is that he wanted to be rich for selfish purposes, but now you will find that in the process that he has totally changed. His life became extremely selfless. All the wealth was meant for the service. So where we find that renunciation, the factor of renunciation is finding expression through his life. So again, you will find that though apparently it is Arthavada, eulogy, but it do speak of some fact that avatara can fulfill your worldly desire, but in the process, he can change your mind. If someone even has a desire, with desire approaches a realized soul for the fulfillment of his or her desire, the illumined soul fulfills the desire and in the process, gradually frees him from his desires. So that's why when it says that approach the realized soul. So don't calculate. Yena tena prakarena that that in Bhagavatam there is a, there is a sloka. The line is yena tena prakarena krishne mano niveshayat. What's the idea? That if you are devoted to Krishna, that is going to liberate you. You will find even the, his enemies, his enemies, those are fighting with him, is killed by Krishna. They are getting, getting merged in Krishna. So that's when Bhagavata says, Yena tena prakarena. A thief never thinks of stealing legally. But anyway, whatever, whatever way is possible, I, he wants the wealth. Yena tena prakarena. So if there is a lumin soul, somehow get, don't be indifferent to him. Somehow try to get related to him. Know it for certain, his wish is a blessing for the humankind. It has nothing selfish motivation in it. It is going to do good to the humanity. So that's why this sloka is saying, approach him. If you have not got rid of the desires, then also you can approach him. If you have already trying to get rid of the desires, then also approach him. His blessing in any way in whether you, you are having desires or not is going to help you in your spiritual journey. So that's what being indicated in this mantra. So let us just read the mantra before we conclude today's class with which we will be concluding the first chapter of the third part of Mundaka Parishad. Yang yang lokang manasa sangvibhati vishuddha sattva kamayate 
यंगश्चकामान तंग तंग लोकंग जयते तांग चकामान तस्मात आत्मज्ञम कि अर्चयत भूति कामान ओम शांति 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 विद दिस वी कंक्लूड आवर क्लास टुडे थैंक यू ऑल नमस्कार